0: Empire podcast this week we say farewell to Charles Xavier but not telepathically because that would make for a terrible bit of audio as James McAvoy talks X-Men Dark Phoenix I never I don't really demand that anybody call me anything other than um, (laughs) hey big guy plus we have a chat with one of the greatest authors of the 21st century all that and more on the movie podcast that has conquered all of Europe and is never gonna stop. Hello Pod, I'm Chris Hewitt and welcome to the Empire Podcast. This week in something of a rare occurrence, I'm joined by three colleagues of such lethal cunning. Count them, three. There is our geek queen and supernatural nipple appreciator, Helen O'Hara, author of an acclaimed book about (laughs) 1980s movies. Hello, how are you?
1: I'm well, thank you.
0: Excellent. It's good to have you here. Uh, Author of the, the... the book, which is called, <laughs> I
1: don't remember. I don't
0: remember. That's how heavily <laughs> infested AD's Helen movie. was. The best. No, they, <laughs> they remember that. It's title.
1: literally sold under two different titles. I don't. Uh, I don't uh-huh, know.
0: Uh huh. What, like it's Harry Potter and just... the Philosopher's Stone and Harry Potter yes. and the Sorcerer's Stone. Is it like that?
1: In the unlikely event you want to buy it, buy it in the works where it's super cheap, <laughs> right? But it has a different title there. I'm wow. not kidding.
0: Anyway, welcome to the show, Helen. Thank Delighted to have you here. Who else are we joined by? We're also joined by Nick DeSemlian, who is also. As chance would have it, the author of an acclaimed book about 1980s movies. And this one, I'm guessing,
2: he can actually remember the title. Hi. Hi, Nick. What's the name of the book? Oh, it's called uh, Wild and Crazy Guys.
1: Good title. But it doesn't stop
2: there. It's one of those titles that just keeps going. I'm going going to have to stop you there, Nick, uh, because (laughs) (laughs) we'll talk about it at some point later on. I can't stop talking about it. People tried to stop me, (laughs) (laughs) but they can't.
1: But it's publication day as we record this.
2: It is.
3: So it's very
1: exciting.
2: It
3: is. Thank you. You're a multi today. You are not only a colleague of Lethal Cunning. You are also the guest or one of the guests. I mean, that is charitable. To be grilled later on your specialist subject. Sure. Doesn't sound like he's prepared for this at all, Doesn't, does it? No. Sounds like he's
0: winging it. What am I meant to have prepared for? Taken by surprise by the idea that people might want to talk to you about your book.
3: (laughs) This is what happens. You invite (laughs) up and
0: coming first time authors, and it all goes to shit. Mm. All right. Well, welcome to the show, Nick. It's always a delight to have uh, an esteemed and celebrated author on the show. And we have two here, in fact. Uh, We're also joined, of course, by James Dyer, who has
3: read a book, I have, seen some movies. Again. And live through the 80s. True. Haven't written a book about them, though, have you? No, I haven't. I feel it's best not to cross the streams. <laughs> Keep all those three things entirely separate. <laughs> the James
0: Dyer book would be terrifying.
3: You think? What would I write about? I what would be my book? Dune. Are you banging on about aliens or Die Hard or Dune? Would it be Why Dune is going to be Excellent and also Why I Love the West Wing by James Dyer? Yeah. It would much... actually
1: be about the West Wing. And yeah. it,
3: it actually would finish with, and in conclusion. <laughs> no, but as we've discussed before, my, my West Wing feature on the website, my oral history of the West Wing, could well be a book, given that it's like 26,000 words. Yes.
0: I'm sure some people would read that. <laughs> Alright, let's have a question and this question comes from at Tully underscore Oz who asks, I'll be travelling from Australia through France Sorry, <clears throat> didn't realise it was an Australian.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: I've got to get into character. Oh god. <clears throat> G'day. I'll be travelling from Australia through France for most of July on my honeymoon. As excited as my wife is, will we be able to see Spider-Man in English at the cinemas? You flaming galah. Hey, wow, wow, that's so weird. He was weirdly specific there with that Australian slang term. Anyway, Tully, uh, at underscore Australia, this one was directed to me and you, Helen. So um, I think that the answer is yes. Yes, you will be able to see Spider-Man Far From Home in cinemas in France in, without the subtitles.
1: There will be subtitles mm-hmm. in, in French.
0: Yes, because but you should go and seek out version, version originale.
1: original. c'est ça. Oh, your pronunciation um, was well off there. Well, I try. So you're basically looking for a, a sign on the corner of the poster that says VO. VO. For version originale, original, original V-O. Version, V-O. version, for anyone who couldn't understand Original. Amazing French. But if you see VF, yeah. version française, yeah. that is obviously... The French dubbed version, yeah. and you just see is, a pair
2: of glow sticks at the bottom. It's the French dubstep version. That's, <laughs> that's
3: entirely that's
1: different. different. Avoid it. True, yeah.
2: This is actually a moderately interesting uh, and helpful <laughs> answer. <laughs> well, is this yeah. the first time we've actually been helpful with our answer? Absolutely, without yes, a doubt. Yes, yes, definitely. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. I just remembered uh, seeing uh, Train Spotting, the original, in Washington DC on holiday when it came out. In the original, it original had elements. subtitles Really? in America. Yeah. <laughs> So
1: I heard the same about the uh, commitments. I don't know if it's true. I never, I never verified that one personally. But really? I mean, I that that does subtitles. need subtitles. Did that help? Yeah. yeah, yeah I guess
2: so. Yeah. I, I quite like watching stuff with subtitles though. I generally at home have the subtitles on. That's weird. You do. I've, I've, I've been on planes with you and,
0: and you've been watching like,
2: TV episodes and films and stuff mm-hmm. and you have the subtitles on. Yeah. Why? It's hard to say. I just like reading. I don't know. It's just sometimes you you don't understand a line, and it's, but it doesn't nice draw your eye from
3: the action, and you end up just looking at the subtitles. Uh, it's distracting. So it's basically just like having the novelisation, the same as any subtitled movie. Yeah, we well, yeah, we, we, yeah, we yeah. can but, all read but, and watch at the same time. Yeah, but it, I find that it requires you to split your attention between the subtitles and the action. So there might be minutiae on screen that you will miss before you it's, were reading. Uh, it's very minutiae. helpful for Nick Nolte movies. Let's put it that way. They're hard to follow otherwise. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, the subtitle nonsense. Chris and I went to see uh, the favorite uh, subtitle for the hard of hearing, and it we had did. helpful things like ducks quack. Yes, used to come mm-hmm. up on the screen. Yeah. Which, was, which was good to know. Very very helpful. They
1: uh, do quack though. That's true. They do. It they was do.
3: entirely accurate. I'm they not. Do. I'm not disputing the. Uh, do uh, have you seen a version original? I've seen a version integral, specifically of no. uh, of Leon. That's what they call the extended version of Leon.
1: Yes, that's true.
3: Because it's a bit French, in it. <laughs> It is a bit French. Where was this? I bought the the DVD, the version integral DVD, because it had. Very good. Although it's the it's the longer version of Leon, which is demonstrably worse than the theatrical one, because it has some good bits in it, but it has seriously unpleasant U-tree undertones, which are quite difficult to get around. So
1: yeah, I don't, I don't recommend that. one. That's yeah. true. Yeah. That's I, true. I, 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 that. It's
3: very clear to me why they cut it. I, yes.
1: The other thing I would say, actually, genuinely about um,
3: the, French, original. the
1: French Spider-Man conundrum in particular,
0: l'homme du spidre.
1: <laughs> Ouch, uh, my head hurts um, No, it is harder to find version originales of Kind of kid-focused films If they consider this child-focused It will be much, much harder to find a VO
3: Child-focused like the version Antigral of Leon,
1: <laughs> Not in that way, James, ah, in right. the other way So in that they'd expect more young people To go to the theatre Your best Best chance of finding it in an original version is in major cities. In smaller towns, you're yes. much less likely to find it. But look at sort of the end of the day programming rather than morning time when the kids will be there, that kind of thing.
0: i remember the last version Original I saw because uh, I've got a family who live in Lyon. Mm-hmm. And last time, one of the times I went over there, I'm sure we saw something. But I have seen stuff. I saw Charlie's Angels in Fersion Original in Lyon years ago. Did it help? And Unbreakable. No, Charlie's, yeah. let's think about Charlie's Angels. I read recently that people really like Charlie's Angels, like no. the, the, the Michi original, no. and going as something of a lost him. cult classic it and isn't. undiscovered gem. Mm, I remember it being no. one of the worst films I've ever seen. It's not good. Now, Full Throttle. Now that is a big one. Well, I reviewed Full Throttle for this uh, hallowed organ, and I'm sure I gave it too, but I had
3: more fun with which, that than I did with Which one ends one. with, the me, more dual-wielding Desert That's Eagle pistols? Throttle. That's yeah. Full yeah. Throttle. Yeah.
1: But, but in fairness, Charlie's Angels does have Sam Rockwell turning evil and dancing in one of the hottest scenes I've ever seen in my life.
3: <laughs> was it almost <laughs> supernatural?
1: Yeah, hey, it kind of was. But also what's interesting is like they have the three women basically recreating stereotypical male fantasies the whole way through the film. Like literally there's, you know, the geisha and the the NASCAR girls and the, you know, every sort of male fantasy, plus I, I there are also those three women. you going to say
3: busting out a game of Magic the Gathering or...
1: I mean, I know that's your... <laughs> Play, b-
3: playing Halo. That's why I said yeah. stereotypical male fantasy. Ah. <laughs> because clearly I need to get new fantasies because these
0: aren't my fantasies. But if you
1: remember, actually, Cameron Diaz was adorable in the film and oh yes, Drew Barrymore right. was kind of a nerd. So actually they're covering that <gasps> too, James.
3: Love Charlie's Angels. So yeah. Modern so yeah, they classic. did all
1: that. And, and really it was Sam Rockwell dancing that was the biggest impact
3: I remember this bit where Cameron Diaz says to the postman you go ahead and put that in my slot and then looks at the camera with a kind of fnar fnar expression you're just like really it's just a a good line
1: is it though
3: (laughs) Eh. I'm not sure it's great it's a good line well delivered it's not aged well
0: All right, but I'm tempted to go back and see it, but uh, without the English French sub- French subtitles because it's in English, but mm. with the French subtitles. I watched Unbreakable as well in version originale, so that was uh, that was something I did all those years ago. What a great anecdote! Never Thanks, was. Chris.
1: It was. I, good, I, I, wasn't mean, I, I saw everything in French for a year, or mm. version originale for a year when I lived in Paris, and it was pretty great. The cinemas on the Champs Elysees, if you are near Paris, like they always have version originale of like everything. Lilo and Stitch was the only one I struggled for. Everything else was all, obviously fresh and original.
2: Lilo e Stitch?
1: <laughs> Lilo e Stitch.
3: E Stitch. I, I could be honest, that film is better in the original Stitches.
1: That is true. Bija mm. Malacuista!
2: Indeed. Indeed. <laughs> How do you subtitle that? Is Stitch the monster or is it, is yes. it Lilo? Because it could be either. No, Lilo is I mean, she an, girl. She's a,
1: a pleasantly weird kid. Let's like, mm-hmm. be honest, she does bite her friends, but she's, yeah. she's not Stitch
2: the is the
3: four-armed mutant. <laughs> we have one of those in the office <laughs> nothing unusual about it
0: but there you go but anyway listen. we Oz, may have got congratulations knowledge. to Tully at underscore Oz and his uh, new wife on their honeymoon on their marriage and mm-hmm. I hope that they have a great time in France and I hope they get to see L'homme du arachnid oh, no?
1: I think it's literally just Spiderman Speederman. <laughs> speederman oh no because okay so there's a whole Can I tell you this? Because this is an interesting thing, I think. So there's the thing called the Académie Française, the the French Academy. The (laughs) French Academy has many different parts, but the most famous part is the one that controls what counts as the French language. And they are notoriously hostile to To Englishisms. Like Weekend. Le Weekend. Mm. Yeah, they hate Le Weekend. It has to be Le Fancyman. Good film, though. Um, It is. Anyway, so at one point, for example, the head of this bit of the French Academy was called Monsieur Bonhomme, so they all called him Mr. Goodman just to <laughs> piss him off? Because they, they thought this was, And many French people think this is ridiculous. Uh-huh. That's the story I was told anyway. That's funny. I like I that. May, I may have slightly misquoted his name. If there are any French people listening, I apologise if so. But it is... Yeah, it's, it's a weird thing. So they, they don't like this kind of le speeder man. It should no, be... Long, L'homme
0: de arachnid. Oh gosh,
1: please stop saying it. And yet that kind of thing does kind of get into the language. There you go.
0: Fantastic. And when were you going to tell the interesting story?
1: Oh, my God. Burns,
0: sick burn, oh, sick, good. sick burn. All right, well, there you go. That is that question answered. Much to at Tully underscore Oz's satisfaction. And if you want to have your question read out on the Emperor podcast, you can get in touch via a number of methods. You can get in touch via Twitter as at Tully underscore Oz. Did is that the most I've ever read out the uh, the username of?
1: Yes, I think so. Of a
0: question asker, it's a, it's a very satisfying thing to say. You can get in touch via Twitter, where we are, of course, at Empire Magazine. Use the hashtag EmpirePodcast, or chances are we won't see it. We're on Facebook as well, although what's the point of even saying that? We never check it. But if you want to ask a question on Facebook, we may happen upon it one day, when, when the Earth is covered over with water. So next Wednesday. And we're also on email as well, podcast at EmpireOnline.com. Right, time now for this week's first guest. He is a movie star. He can Ooh. be seen in the likes of, well, the like of Jurassic World. Uh, he is an award winning journalist. He is not listening. He is absolutely <laughs> not listening. He has sewn out some time ago. I was doing research, important research is, what,
2: on your book so that you can is, answer questions about it. He <laughs> is phoning it in. I heard Movie Star and I assumed I like, could clock out, to be honest. I, I, uh, now, normally you would assume that would be you, right? Well, yeah. Sorry, I looked at him. I looked at him. I looked at him. Oh
1: no, don't make I my contact. contact
2: with the talent. Oh, Chris. Not the face. My my people have uh, been. Some
0: in people push. might say that, you know, having a section on the show where an empire writer talks about a book that they wrote is
2: self-indulgent frippery, but <laughs> I say go for it. I, I said it's not. I say that you should yeah. definitely have me
0: on. He has recently turned his hand, of course, to writing a book with a critically acclaimed wild and crazy guys how the comedy mavericks of huh, the 1980s changed Hollywood. Forever? Is that
2: right? Forever, that right? yes. The question mark okay. is there, yes.
3: There's <laughs> a, a particularly good part in the acknowledgements where I'm mentioned. I think that's where most readers should well, turn Well, this to. is where we're going to start, James Dyer. Because, uh, <laughs>
0: it is on sale right now. He is my friend. He is my neighbour. He is acclaimed author, Nick Dissembly. And welcome, Nick. You're very kind. Hey, Chris. How are you? Okay, let's talk acknowledgements, shall we? Oh, no.
2: <laughs> this has been rumbling on for months usher now. You
0: were at mm. my wedding. Uh-huh. You have, you know, you are one of my best friends, if not my best friend. Where the fuck am I in the, in the acknowledgements of this book? I have guided you. <laughs> I have shepherded you along every step of the way in the writing of this. And I'm not, I, you know, you can see
1: Eric quotes book.
0: And yet I, James and I, in fact, are and Helen, were you in the acknowledgements? I mean, are I you in the acknowledgements? not
1: where I turned when I got the book. I we're, am, not, we're,
2: not, we're not first page, are we? We're not. We're second I'm... page. What's going on? <laughs> Listen, you put me on the spot. <laughs> you're um, a monster. You're, you know, like I kind of tried to do it by how helpful people were with the book. James <laughs> read the Eddie Murphy chapters. I did. Yeah. Uh, how much did you read? What you gave me to read. One page. One page. One page. There we go. So <laughs> that's, that's the answer. It's a brutal answer, but uh, you're in there. You're in there. So is Helen. So is you could all You should all be happy. I was I'm helpful. I think. was encouraging. Mm-hmm. Whenever you were committing so many man hours towards this book, I mm-hmm. was saying Nick, just give up. Did you want?
3: To- no one's going to read it. You also didn't Just- follow my guidelines. I did specifically tell you my name should always be in italics.
2: Oh my god! <laughs> Not you as well. I thought you were the reasonable one. Yeah. Uh, did you want to be on the cover? Is this? Is this? Yeah. Uh- I am a wild and crazy guy. I don't mm-hmm. see why I shouldn't be on the cover. And, and James should be obviously in a box.
0: And James Dyer as himself. That's what. Yeah. That's what he should be in acknowledgement. Yeah. That's
1: what your contract's demanded. What is. What contract is. Is. Yeah.
0: But enough about the acknowledgements. This book is called Wild and Crazy Guys. What is the inspiration
2: behind this book, Nick? And what is this book about? Well, the inspiration, I guess, is just I love these movies, and um, what movies? We're talking Ghostbusters, Beverly Hills yes, Cop, correct. Three Amigos, Good. to a lesser extent, Caddyshack, because I don't love yeah, Caddyshack, yeah. but it's one that a lot of people love. Caddyshack uh, National- is a terrible film. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's not aged well, I don't think. I like the Gopher stuff. That's fair. The guy, if the whole film was just Bill Murray hunting a gopher, yeah, okay. I'd, I'd be on for that. But um, yeah, no. so I just grew up loving these films and I kind of got to meet a lot of these guys for Empire, Rick Moranis and Bill Murray and uh, Steve Martin, Dan Aykroyd. So I decided to write a book about them.
0: But isn't it true also that like, mm-hmm. you love these guys, you love these films, and one mm-hmm. day you were looking for a book that covered this era and covered these guys and it didn't exist. Yeah. So you basically said, you know what,
2: I'm going to write it myself. I'll do it myself.
1: I'm going <laughs> to do the show right here. You
2: um, he went full Thanos. Yeah, Fine, exactly. I'll do it myself. I Fan asked it. Didn't put on a special glove, but you know there are a lot of books about these guys at Saturday Night Live. But then when when they leave Saturday Night Live and go on and start making movies, there wasn't really anything there. Even Steve Martin, his book Born Standing Up, which is great, great book, stops like at the jerk. And uh, when I got to sit down and talk with Steve Martin, I said, you know why. Why didn't you carry on? He went. Oh, no one's interested in that stuff. So I, I know, thought, well, I'm like, gonna, I'm gonna prove him wrong. And uh, I love the book *Eater Riders Redging Balls* uh, by Peter Biskind. So that was kind of in my head as, as a kind of the benchmark. The benchmark, yeah.
0: yeah. Is it true that basically you just copied and
2: pasted Peter Biskind's book and just changed the names, changed names, <laughs> find and replace? <laughs> Scorsese <laughs> becomes <laughs> Chevy Chase. Uh, <laughs> Francis Ford Coppola <laughs> becomes uh, Rick Moranis. I mean, that would explain why the book makes no sense and has, <laughs> has lots of napalm and helicopters in it. But this is an incredible book and it has lots of, you know,
0: there's so many wonderful stories that these guys got up to because they were all, you know, they were mavericks and there was a lot of, I think we can say this, can't we? There was a lot of drug use going on. Mm-hmm. Not not all of them. Some of them were pretty squeaky clean, but uh, mm-hmm. some of them, John Belushi, I think most famously. Little Just bit cocky, little bit, little bit. Uh, so there's there's fisticuffs. The book mm. begins with fisticuffs, and uh, and these guys, you know, all had egos the size of a small planet, with the possible exception, again, I'm saying probably of Rick Moranis and John Candy, who always struck me as really, really lovely, lovely guys. Yeah. But otherwise, you have some really tempestuous stuff going on here. Bill Murray, Chevy
2: Chase, that's oil and water. That, that's not going to mix well. Yeah, they were pretty rambunctious. I mean, even John Candy got Chevy Chase in a headlock at a party for an hour and a half. He walked around with him really for an hour hour and a half that's that's uh, taking the joke too far possibly oh but yeah they're super fun guys to write about i mean they they were huge characters uh yeah chevy chase bill murray did not like each other particularly much john landis and eddie murphy was kind of fascinating that they really got into like some proper uh and came to blow had a showdown on mm. the set of coming to america yeah it was like eddie murphy getting john landis in a chokehold and john landis punching him in the balls and there was amazing stuff So when you sat down to write this book, how
0: much of these stories did you know? How much did you discover through research and through, you know, you conducted something
2: like almost 50 interviews, I believe. So how many did you discover along the way? Yeah, I discovered quite a lot along the way. And um, a lot of it through the interviews. I got to talk to John Landis for four hours, which was amazing. Uh, We did two, presumably more than him. Uh, That's a hell of a voicemail. (laughs) Well, he seemed to be having a good time. Like, we got got to... We got to the end of the four hours and he said, I made other movies in the 80s. I did American Werewolf. And like, he he wanted to talk about the others as well. So he just loves telling the stories. But um, yeah, you know, the Bill Murray stuff, the fact he took four years off after Ghostbusters. I didn't really know much about that. I, I didn't realize that he went off and did philosophy at the sorbonne and did he yeah he just completely packed it in as soon as he became mega famous and didn't come back till the end of the 80s wow and uh <laughs> ghostbusters 2 lured him back <laughs> ghostbusters 2 well scrooged but um scolari brothers so that was kind of fascinating so there were loads of loads of little stories that that came up that i didn't know what's the best chapter <laughs> uh four <laughs> <laughs> i can't remember what four is i just i just panicked um, the only film that I dedicate an entire chapter to just one film is The Blues Brothers. And Helen, you have a really good section on Blues Brothers I'm in your book. Good. But that is a really fun film to write about. It's and so just completely out of control. Talking of drug use, uh, cocaine was officially bought by the studio for night shoots. And everyone would just have coke because it was such a hard shoot. Drive cars around at 90 miles an hour. So it was a different, t- different time. Oh my um, God. That was one where the budget was like three times the size of what it was meant to be originally. Jesus. And no one was really keeping an eye on it until it was too late. The Empire Podcast mm-hmm. has a Coke Zero budget, <laughs> <laughs> but
0: not, not much of one, sadly.
1: We just oh. share the same bottle.
0: Yes, we do. It's gross. Jimbo, I feel we you and I should collaborate on a book about the 80s. All right, let's do it. I feel a bit left out now. Yeah, me just, too. But, you know.
1: I've been telling you for years to write a book. Yeah. And you always go... Ah, but but all, like, the go- all the but good, good ones have been taken. Or what you say is, look how it's taken over Nick's life. Look I how much just... work he's having to do. Look how much happened. work you had to do. Yay.
2: But worth it. I mean, what was that experience like for you, Nick? Yeah, no, I loved it. I mean, it was uh, watching the first four years of Saturday Night Live every single episode. You was poor uh, There were ups and downs. <laughs> yeah, there were just ups and downs. But I'm <laughs> glad. <laughs> I'm dance. glad I made it through the other side. There were points where I was watching, you know, Chevy Chase in Modern Problems, a film in which literally he's levitating off the floor, snorting sort of it's, it's snorting huge line of cocaine. It's an insane film, and he almost died making it. And I almost died watching it. Um, <laughs> But I'm glad I made it through to the other side, and and kind of feel like I know that era of Hollywood history a lot better. Did mm. you
1: discover any films that you hadn't like, you didn't already love, that you're now like, you know what, that one's really underrated, and more people should see it.
2: The one that jumps to mind is Steve Martin's The Lonely Guy, mm. and it's a really good, smart film where he just basically plays a desperate guy dating and it's just full of great gags and i don't think many people have seen it so i recommend I track that, that down
4: all for right.
3: someone like myself who detests all humorous things is there a lot for me in your uh, in your in you your like eddie book? murphy that's true i do love eddie murphy that's true and i find him i find his films really funny as well mm-hmm. so yeah. not so much steve martin you're not, a not Steve Martin no fan. no i'm not what which i don't understand jerk? no the jerk doesn't like the jerk
0: yeah hmm. unbelievable uh, all right, let's bring this uh, Shane the Shilling to an end. And uh, Nick,
2: where <laughs> can people buy this book? From uh, my flat, uh, just come <laughs> around. I'll lob one out the window. Uh, no, you can buy it in bookshops. That's exciting to say. And, and on the, the internet. Shop. Um, yeah, good, evil, and all neutral yep. bookstores. I'm told, and uh, you can also get it as an audio book, uh, not read by Chris, but oh, by. Oh, yeah, um,
0: okay, yeah. here's another bone of contention.
2: <laughs> so there is an audio version of this book, right? There is, yes. And uh, and who who reads it? Uh, a great actor named Curtis Armstrong. Who played? Booga in Revenge of the Nerds. Yes. And Bert in Moonlighting. Oh, Bert. He's also in Supernatural. Oh. Bert, mm-hmm. Bert from Moonlighting. Is he nipped he? Why you say super- so? From- mm-hmm. I love Moonlighting. Give me a ba- I'm back on board. I was
0: furious because I, I, I wanted to do this. He plays uh, Metatron. I would have done justice to your words, but now I know that Bert from Moonlighting is reading the audiobook. Totally fine. I couldn't possibly top that. Uh, so there you go. It is available on both sides of the Atlantic. We should point that out as well. It's available in bookstores. It is available as an audiobook also. And uh, Nick will go around your house and read bits to you uh, randomly. Whether uh, you like it as or well. not. Thanks, Nick, for coming on the show. Are you Are going to stick around with us? <laughs> you know, I, I'll check my schedule. Yeah, okay. I'm, I'm, I'm good. I'm good. All right. Fantastic.
3: Uh, because now it is time to talk about this week's movie news. Yeah. What has been happening in the world of movie news? Well, the trailer dropped for that Pizza Express film, which is good. Good. Very excited to see. Uh, Apollo ad. I believe it's called. Oh, so. no. Oh, James. No? Was that humour? I mean, this is why I don't like comedy, you see, because it's just not a natural
0: <laughs> fit for me. Oh, no. I
3: didn't know where you were going with that.
0: Like pizza, pizza Express film? What's he, what's he talking no, about? So oh, still still don't get Grey it. James Gray film.
1: Yeah, Helen, please take over. <laughs> uh, so it's the James Gray film. It's the follow-up to The Lost City of Zed, or Z depending on your side of the Atlantic. But
3: not a direct sequel.
1: No, it's not like like that was his last film. It's mm-hmm. not in any way that I'm aware of connected to that story of lost explorers in the Amazon because this is a story about space travel, right? It is. Okay,
3: it's an interesting trailer in that it feels to me, with no basis or evidence to back this up, like that, that was a very conventional trailer for what I suspect is going to be a slightly unconventional film. Like you would hope, right? You would hope, given who's made it, but also just the subject matter. Like it's 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 a slightly weird idea, but it's been cut together like there's a there's a moon buggy sort of shootout chase on it, which feels like they've crowbarred it in to make it feel like the Fast and the Furious zero
2: G. Um, it's a car it's, chase what, on the moon he, come on
3: yeah I, but, the, but I just I just feel that the film is going to be more layered than that I don't think that's yeah. going to be representative of what this film is and I suspect when the director saw that trailer he was banging his head against his moon buggy but you know I could be wrong but this is uh, so this
0: is James Gray who is the guy behind the likes of uh, The Yards and Two Lovers and this is his big budget sci-fi extravaganza yeah. and the trailer does make it look like every sci-fi movie ever made and that's not a bad thing I have to say because some of the movies it makes it look like are Danny Boyle's Sunshine and oh, so good mm. of course Event Horizon which I'm, I'm absolutely <laughs> there for Interstellar There's a bit of Interstellar in there as well a bit of Solaris in there as mm. well uh, either stripe if you, if you will Ugh. and so Brad Pitt basically plays an astronaut called Roy McBride who at the beginning of the trailer uh, we see fall into Earth uh, somehow he seems to survive <laughs> yeah he does he fall through Earth's atmosphere which I'm pretty sure would would kill
3: a man but we shall see what happens well I can only assume that they were in the upper atmosphere already because you can't fall yeah
2: because
3: mm-hmm. there's you know well if you're blown away by something the yeah but it felt like he fell off so I think they were upper atmosphere so I think they were still okay. within the sorry well. to atmosphere explain to you then. No, carry no, on let's,
0: let's go with that uh, anyway so then turns out his dad uh, the Earth is dying and his dad played by Tommy Lee Jones disappeared on a secret mission years ago to try and Find some way of, of fixing what the hell is going on on our planet. Mm. He disappeared, uh, very event horizon, and then oh, they send Brad Pitt to go and look after him.
1: It's also quite Lost City of Zed which it was is, also about it? looking for lost dad. Nick, what it you sounds
2: think? like a reverse fugitive with uh, someone hunting Tommy Lee Jones. and <laughs> <laughs> Have they checked every moon henhouse outhouse? Every moon outhouse? Every yeah? Every
1: moon house? Outer Space House and...
0: <laughs> Galaxy House. Sure. But it does look good and it's out in September. It's September 20th, yes. which, as chance would have it, is my birthday. What a lovely day to have a birthday. Pop along, see Ad Astra, uh, light a candle, make a donation in my honour to me, and then finish the day off by seeing Rambo Last Blood. That's a, yeah. that's a day. That is that a day. Is
1: a day.
3: And that was not the only exciting trailer to drop this week. We also about- had Le Mans 66. <laughs> Oh, my 66. God. Yeah. Le
1: Mans 66.
3: A.K.A. Ford versus Ferrari, which is the far better title that we don't get over here. Yes. Wait, we
1: don't get that? No, no it's,
3: changed so it's, it to it's the Le Mans 66 over here. Okay. In America, it's Ford v. Ferrari.
1: Huh.
3: For, uh, Ford v. Ferrari colon Dawn of Justice. <laughs> yeah.
1: now, the Ford v. Ferrari thing confused me at first, because when I started watching this trailer, I was like, oh, so it must be that Christian Bale is Ferrari, and... <laughs> Matt Damon is Ford. That's what I was thinking, you know. But it does look it does look proper, actually. It looks really good. Um, it does, yeah. There's really no one
3: from Ferrari in the trailer, no. which might be why they've changed the title of the film. That's,
1: that's what I'm saying, yeah. yeah. That, it, I guess it makes more sense to not call it that if yeah. that's not really the focus.
0: This is a new film from James Mangold, his first film since Logan, and it's a movie he's been chasing to direct for some time. It's been knocking around Hollywood for an awful long time and it's had a lot of people attached to it over the years. And uh, I did a trailer breakdown with him, which you can read on the Empire website. And he's very interesting indeed about uh, the characters. He sees it as a character study, first of all. A film about friendship, a film about brotherhood. Between these two guys, you have... Ken Miles, these are real-life guys as well. Mm. Ken Miles, played by Christian Bale, uh, and Carol Shelby, who's played by Matt Damon. And uh, mm. they were recruited by Ford in the mid-60s, 1966, in fact, to try and topple Ferrari from its perch mm. uh, in terms of dominance at the Le Mans race, which is a 24-hour race, in case people don't know what that is. Uh, it is the ultimate endurance race.
1: Well, it's the ultimate endurance race in a car. In is, a car. Is there it's are 24-hour races where people run.
3: Could I ask a question? Like, and I'm not I'm expecting either of you to know this, but so is it one driver? They don't switch drivers? No, they switch yeah. drivers. They switch drivers. Yeah. So actually, it's not an endurance race at all. It's just a guy drives for a bit and then he gets out. <laughs> it's not quite that simple, but. Yeah. This, this is the <laughs> regular podcast <laughs> segment. Chris, sports explains something <laughs> they, to me. They have to get out while they're moving. No, no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The car no. cannot slow down. No. It, if it goes below no, 60 it, miles an hour, yes. it explodes. Yes. <laughs> if you had a
0: driver going for 24 hours straight, then that. Well, that get, is extraordinarily irresponsible. He'd get six points so, on his license. He would. <laughs> yeah, without a doubt. Yeah, and for plowing into the grandstand for the spectators, no doubt. So, no, they have, they have uh, several drivers and they switch. But uh, yeah. Ken Miles was the main driver in this team. Bobby Meters took over.
1: <laughs> Am I imagining that Steve McQueen once?
2: Yes, yeah, Steve McQueen a... made a film called 71. Yeah. Uh, Originally yeah. titled Day of the Champion. That's my, that. that's my fact I'm bringing to this conversation.
1: <laughs> Thank you for that's bringing all, it. That's
2: all I've got. I'll just leave that there and I'll leave. Yes, it was uh, something of,
0: because uh, the Queen loved cars and he yeah. loved to race. And so it was something of uh, a passion project for him. It's it's a good film, but I think one of the things that has inspired James Mangold to direct this film is that there hasn't really been a great racing movie. I mean, obviously we'll, we'll set... Rennie Harlan's Driven starring Sylvester Stallone will set that to one side. That's in the bank. That Rush. is insurmountable. But otherwise, no.
1: Rush was better.
0: Rush was okay. Days was no of Thunder. Cold trickle. No Cold trickle. Cold trickle.
1: Cars 3.
0: <laughs> I still feel the need. The need for more speed. Uh, but yeah, it's a good trailer. Uh, and like James, I wish they would keep the title over here. Ford versus Ferrari. Okay, so there was some non-trailer movie news this week. Do You see that uh, Robert Downey Jr. has gone full Tony Stark. You yes.
1: see this? I love it.
0: He was making uh, a keynote speech at some Amazon thing about uh, technology and how it can impact the future because, you know, I don't know if you've been keeping up with the news, but we're pretty much fucked at the moment. So <laughs> What is it, 2050, the world's going to end? Didn't yeah, they that's, what, that's what I read this week, that, you know, uh, you know, there's a very good chance we might all be dead by 2050. So, you know, I hope there's one more Avengers movie before then. <laughs> that would be cool, wouldn't it? Anyway, so Robert Downey Jr. was doing this thing and he's announced that he is Bringing together, he's, he's launching a team, a team, an organization <laughs> called the Footprint Coalition oh. that is going to be dedicated to trying cleaning up the planet using advanced technologies for the good of the environment. And he's hoping to launch it uh, as of next year. And even if it's just cleaning up a little bit of the planet of uh, all this this detritus and plastic and clogging the oceans and stuff, then it w- it will be a good thing indeed.
1: Absolutely, mm-hmm. yay for him! Real life superhero. Mm-hmm. There was other movie news. Um, so, a quiet place, two mm. even quieter, is gearing up, yeah. and uh, it, it emerged this week that Brian Tyree Henry is in talks to. Paperboy in the house. I mean, he's kind of like I think he's your guy because, like last year, he was in Widows, everything, Spider Man <laughs> in Spider Verse, and if everything. Beale Street could talk, to name but three. I mean, mm. White Boy Rick was not bad either. Dude's got mad skills, I think, is the... Is the um, huge props. Take- and
2: good at multitasking. Yeah.
1: yeah. So, um, so fingers crossed that uh, it is a bigger role than he had in any of those. And mm. uh, that he takes it up, because I think that's really exciting.
0: I had a thought the other day about The Quiet Place. Did you? A film I love. Mm. One of my favourite films of last year. Yep. But are we really meant to believe that...
1: No one ever the sneezes.
0: governments of the world... Yeah, are oh, that, that. And, also, you know, lots of, there's lots of moments in your life when you make involuntary noises, mm. especially as you get older. So there's the moments when John Krasinski just bends over to pick up a pen. Now, that would be, I would be a goner at that point. If I just bend over, I'd be like, you know, because I'm that old now. But are we meant to believe that once the governments of the world discovered that these creatures were susceptible to sound, that they didn't try every frequency under the sun? Anyway, just a little thought. <laughs> Very excited about this. And Killian Murphy, of course, as a mysterious man who enters the world of Emily Blunt and her her brood. Ooh. So, yeah, I'm bang up for this movie. John Krasinski returning to write and direct. And if it's every bit as good as the first one, then we are in for a treat. And there are a couple of other sequels I wanted to talk about as well. One of them is Wonder Woman 1984. (gasps) Yeah, it is. Because as of yesterday, there was one year to go exactly until a film is out in 2020. And the film's director, Patty Jenkins, revealed the very first look at the movie
3: yesterday. And it is 80s-tastic. It isn't. It isn't. The poster.
1: Well, we'd had yeah. There was the first poster. We'd had the poster. Those, yes. Yeah. The poster.
3: Yes. It's it's very Technicolor. She's wearing sort of gold lame, flash Gordon esque attire, but she does have distinctly un-80s hair. I it's think not boofy I, enough. Uh, I think that's pretty eighties. That,
1: that yeah. Hair. No, they've they've actually gone with that sort of uh, Ione Sky kind of longer, yeah. slightly boofy hair. It
3: feels like a cop out.
1: No, it's definitely sort of bigger hair than she has had before, and um, and it, it does look sufficiently 80s in context. I would she imagine. looks like
3: she's wearing tier 5 raid gear from World of Warcraft.
1: I think that armour is a mild reveal, actually. <gasps> I think if you look at some of the comics, you'll see something that looks a bit like that. Mm. You will? I think you will.
3: Is this something you know for a fact?
1: Definitely not.
3: Okay. I mean, I'm looking at it right now, and
1: it's the golden eagle armor.
0: I was about to say I know that. you were. Good, looks good. Everyone seems to like it. Uh, you know, maybe this is indicating that there's a bright, cessed colorfulness to this movie, uh, a bit like Thor Ragnarok, and uh, it looks pretty eighties. And I want to know why Diana ends up in that armor. Mm. Cool, cool beans, everybody. Cool One year beans. to go. Less uh, than less than a year to go now. Yes, right, correct. And speaking of another another sequel. Bill and Ted Face the Music got some new cast members this week Mm. and it is confirmation that Bill S. Preston Esquire and Theodore Ted Logan have been spending some of the time since they were off screen rutting like bloody stags and they have two daughters, two daughters, Thea Preston and Billy Logan and they'll be played by Samara Weaving and Bridget Lundy-Payne.
1: They've named their daughters after each other. Yes. Of course they have. Yes. It's adorable. Um, yeah, this is this is super good. <laughs> so, uh, you know, they still haven't fulfilled their destiny. A visitor from the future tells them that only their song can save life as we know it. If Robert Downey Jr. could only get hold of Bill and Ted,
0: <laughs> we'd be saved. Yep,
2: true, true.
1: And, and apparently they will be helped by family and friends, presumably including these daughters. Indeed. And station. Station, I, I
2: don't like Station. I, oh, I love Bogus Journey, but I, so I, I cannot sanction uh, Station's buffoonery. I'm sorry. I just, I just, that's the bit of the film I dislike. I find Station weird, creepy, and I wish it would go away. This is why you are so wrong about all things Bill and Ted. <laughs> I love uh, everything else, and I also maintain the first one is better than the second, which no one agrees with. No,
3: because you're wrong. You also think Ghostbusters 2 is better than Ghostbusters 1. Oh. You are uniquely unqualified to write a book about the 1980s. I, I actually
1: think the first one is better than the second as well. Oh, yeah, but I saw the second one first, so I loved it for a lot for longer. Mm-hmm. But um, but I've come around in the past few years. Yeah,
2: yes, first unite yeah. station. Even Look, no. you're you're a massive uh, Bill and Ted fan. You're yeah. excited about this movie? Very. Yeah, I cannot wait. I honestly didn't think this would ever happen. They've been talking about this and talking and talking, and it didn't seem it was going to happen. And I can't believe they're actually shooting it right now. But um, I thought they didn't start for a couple of weeks. But yeah, they're air guitaring right now. Let's put it that way.
3: They're Here's the thing somewhat.
2: that you're not doing right now, which which confuses me. You are not currently
3: in production on Jurassic World Camp Cretaceous, which is the Netflix animated spin-off from Jurassic World, which presumably they did, did not approach you through the voice of animated Edmund.
2: Yeah, I was just reading about that. Yeah. And, um, were, you, were you gypped? I
3: mean, did you, was there an issue?
2: Did well, they not meet your ridiculous
3: yeah. demands?
2: I only do the big screen. Um, and that, Yeah, there's an animated Jurassic World yeah. spin-off. Yeah, Camp Cretaceous. I'm quite excited about that. I mm. am
0: absolutely not, but sure. It'll be on Netflix next year. It's executive produced by Colin Trevorrow and Steven Spielberg and Frank Marshall. It has two different showrunners. And they are Scott Creamer and Lane Lueras. So, yeah, I don't know that this is going to be essential.
2: I'm not entirely sure I'll watch it, but I I respect its right to exist. Will it be as good as the Chuck Norris animated spin-off Karate Commandos from the 80s? I don't know. I just like uh, cartoon spin-offs of movies. The
1: real Ghostbusters was great.
2: Yeah, What's although that, yeah. Mm, yeah, time Egon time. had distressingly blonde hair. Yeah, he that did. really freak me out. He was, was, was like well. really hunky and but had blonde hair. That was because they didn't have the rights to their likenesses, wasn't mm-hmm. it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. One of them had red hair, though, wasn't it? Didn't, wasn't Ray Ginger? Ray yeah, the, the, the cartoon, yeah. actually, uh, the Ghostbusters cartoon got so massive that when they were shooting Ghostbusters 2, uh, Howard Ramus was not recognised as Egon because everyone kind of associated Egon with the uh, with the blonde guy. That's what he said, anyway. I used to watch The Real Ghostbusters. Why was it called I'm The sorry, Real Ghostbusters? That's, <laughs> that's absolute bullshit. That's what he claimed. He, that's that's what he claimed. bullshit. That's what he said. Nope.
0: Ghostbusters was one of, the, one of the biggest films of 1984, one of the biggest films of all time. <laughs> but was it the real Ghostbusters? <laughs> Jesus Christ. Anyway, um, Robert Pattinson is now officially Batman. That was confirmed what, what? mere minutes after we put the podcast live of course it was. last week. Of course it was, because that's what Hollywood does. Yep. They wait for our podcast to drop, and then they release the big news of the week. Mm. And he flew from Cannes to LA and put on a Batsuit. And did a screen test, and Nicholas Hull did the same. And then Matt Reeves went, I
2: want that one. I mm-hmm. hope he did it by just doing a dart. The we, I hope he had to wear the Batman and Robin the one with the nipples. <laughs> That's oh. I hope that was the only one they had available. <laughs> Can yeah. we right here and right now coin the phrase
3: "batpats"? No, we can't. No,
1: it's been done. A Damn million it, our bats. All That's bats. also been done. Oh. All been done. Every, single <laughs> every, every
3: single variation, variation <laughs> has been done. If
0: my favourite joke on Twitter, and I'm kicking myself, I didn't think about this one, was uh, you know he was in Twilight years ago, and now he's batman Terrible vampire. Took 11 years to turn into a bat. That was... <laughs> that is good. Wow. That, is that was good. a really good joke. That had Last time I checked that one, it had a, something like 170,000 likes. That
1: is good. Oh, my like,
0: God. What am I, I doing?
1: I do... I, I'm, I'm very happy with this casting. I, I did have a moment when watching X-Men Dark Phoenix last night where I was watching Nicholas Holt, you know, puttering around his lab and thinking, I mean, he kind of does Superman. look like Batman. Superman. I'm I'm very happy with him as Superman if that indeed ever occurs. That's
0: how how was Superman? Clark Kent all day long. Yeah. Really? Yeah. Superman Superman think of those, all day think long. He those
1: glasses. He that, is you know, tall.
0: X-Men. He is he, he could fill out the the he's basically the closest thing to Chris Reeve since Chris Reeve yep. and I'm including Brandon Routh who was pretty damn close to Chris Reeve. I don't I'm, telling see you, it. I'm telling you. I'm I telling you. I'm telling you. I don't see it. I'm telling you right now he'd be a damn good Superman.
1: I agree okay. with Chris and it pains me to do that as well. I
0: do, I do know. <laughs> very, very quickly one, one last thing to talk about uh, this dropped last week as well just as we were <laughs> putting up the podcast that Ben Wheatley has started production on his next movie and it is an adaptation of Rebecca
1: uh-huh.
0: and uh, they've added some people to the cast which was already pretty damn good it already had Army Hammer it already had Lily James it already had Kristen Scott Thomas now it has Anne Dowd, Ben Crompton and Wheatley regulars Sam Riley Sam Riley and uh, <laughs> Keely Halls I don't do impressions of Katie Lee Haas. That's
1: interesting. Sam Riley was the um, Mr. Darcy to Lily James Elizabeth Bennet. I wonder if those, they'll be, you know, frissons on oh. screen as a result oh. I would say I would no. imagine
0: there might be some frissons in this anyway but uh, very excited about this Yeah, little bit out of Wheatley's wheelhouse but uh, yeah it could be very very cool mm. indeed So
1: I, I do not know that Ben Wheatley starting work on a new film is really news because he does it every other week like he works so fast
0: Helen that's um. ridiculous uh, so I've oh, just got a Google alert Ben Wheatley has started work on another <laughs> new film Rebecca too yeah he's directing two films at the same time just running back and forth through different rooms um, <laughs> Mrs. Free,
1: Danvers <laughs> Boogaloo <Yeah>.
0: Free Fire <laughs> 4 Down Terrace 3 Um, All right, so that is it for the news section It is now time for our second guest this week Uh, James McAvoy has played Professor Charles Xavier for almost a decade now across four X-Men movies starting with First Class back in 2011 and finishing, almost certainly finishing with this week's Dark Phoenix I went and spoke to him recently about the role that will probably be the one he's recognised for most Yes, even more so than Mr. Tumnus Do please enjoy we're delighted to be joined on the Emperor Podcast by the star of X Men: Dark Phoenix. There he oh. behind you because oh. we're in a TV room. Yeah. James McAvoy, how are you, sir? Very well, thank you. How are you? Yeah, not too bad, not too bad. I want to start with some clarification here because I interviewed Jessica Chastain a few weeks ago in Paris, doing a you know city name drop, but there I was, and uh, she said that she calls you Mac Attack—that's her nickname yep. for you. You told me once, I interviewed you years ago, that your nickname was Floyd. It is, yes. All right, so clarify what's going
4: on. She's got... Hey, listen, she can call me whatever she wants. She's Jessica Chastain. (laughs) She is... um, She's a force unto herself. Um, But uh, a lot of people who know me well and have known me for many years um, refer to me as Floyd. Mm -hmm. Which is a football thing, isn't it? It was a football thing. uh, So uh, there was Jimmy Floyd... Jimmy Floyd Hasselbank was Uh a football player when I was... Uh, in my teens uh, he was a player that I very much admired (laughs) and um, and so I used to get called uh, Jimmy Floyd and then it was J Floyd and then it just they dropped the J and it was just Floyd Okay, because you're right, you can't dictate what people call you, You right? can't really, no. And not yeah. every, there's a few people that do call me Floyd anymore, but there's maybe like eight or nine people that still call me Floyd.
0: And on this movie, because you've been making these movies now, you've been making an X-Men movies since, what, 2010, is, I guess when you started filming First Class? Uh, yes. Around right about then? Yeah. So um, uh, what the, what, what's your nickname on the X-Men movies? Do you uh. insist on <laughs> Floyd, or is
4: there a no. name that you cannot repeat? I never, I don't really demand that anybody call me anything. Other than, um, <laughs> hey, big guy. Um, what do people call me? Uh, 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 Jimmy Mack. I get Jimmy Mack a lot. Jimmy Mac. okay. Um, for some reason, we all go on second names on this gig. Really? So, McAvoy, Fastbender, Holtz, Lawrence. <laughs> yeah, no it's all, Well, Jen Actually, Jen got called Gen 10 quite a lot <laughs> For some reason Gen 10 <laughs> stuck Yeah Alright,
0: good to know Good to know Is that something that You're going to miss That sort of camaraderie Yeah, I'll miss it, these guys If this is the last time You're going to be Playing Charles Xavier
4: Which, is, which isn't guaranteed It's probably going to be The case, isn't it? Um, it's uh, Yeah, it'll be sad To say goodbye To these guys um, mm. I've known Jen And Nick Since they were 18 They're They're Evolution in their growth, in a way, has been greater than Michael and I. You know, what I mean, as we were in our thirties, you know, you're kind of you're a little more formed as a person than in those ages between eighteen and in your mid twenties. You know, mm-hmm. um, and uh, just seeing them grow has been incredible and, and become the people that they become and the the professionals that they've become as well, which is quite astounding. Yeah, and then the latter cast members that came in um further down the line as well, I mean that was such a weird thing. When we came into Apocalypse, it was like, right, we've got some new people coming in. Ah, oh, we're such a tight wee group, that's gonna feel weird. <laughs> the hands were raised. And They were gorgeous. They were just lovely and, and kinda of slid in yeah. seamlessly. Felt it felt strangely very natural. Maybe that was maybe that was part of the casting process. To yeah. make sure that we'd like them. Um, <laughs> But yeah, so it's, it's, that's one of the sadnesses. But it's also one of the great things about acting and in this industry is that your gig's always changing and it's always new people. There's always something keeping you fresh uh, and keeping you interested. Mm. And as an actor, I'm interested in other human beings. I'm interested in learning from them, not as an actor, but just as a person and mm. examining them as a person. So that's one of the great... <sighs> Fun and privileges, uh, uh, one of the great fun and privileges, what fucking sentence is that? One of the great <laughs> privileges of being an actor is that you get to just mix it up constantly, you know? Yeah, well, one of the great fun and privileges is of, of, of keeping something fresh and keeping yourself uh,
0: infested and interested in a character. Yeah. It, it's, it's been fascinating watching the likes of Hugh Jackman play yeah. Logan over so many films and, you know, uh, Robert Downey Jr. playing Tony Stark over the, yeah. all those uh, all those Marvel movies and how those characters have changed. Because, you know, I used to grow up watching Roger Moore as Bond or yeah. Sean Connery as Bond and not to denigrate those guys are amazing, but those characters didn't change one iota d- across those films. No, too much. Charles yeah.
4: has changed loads. Charles changed loads. He's actually physically um, pretty unrecognisable in a lot of the films. Um, <laughs> I'd say in this one, in Apocalypse, there's a similarity, a similarity physically. But the other, the first three, you know, he's like incredibly different and that's not the most important thing because your physical appearance isn't the most important thing but it is, a, it is a reflection of what's going on inside and getting to play him as a sort of uh, more of a self-centred whimsical student and um, sort of with a playboy kind of attitude in the first one becoming bit a bit of Powers in the first one a little bit groovy. of Even groovy, I know, yeah. I'd love that <laughs> um, Got a lot of ad libs in first class actually. <laughs> um, that was that was fun to do. Showing him to be like a broken junkie almost, yeah. Um, uh, who's suffered great trauma. If he had no pain, that was the thing. He had no pain, and he had no great grief or inner trauma or angst or or history in first class. In yeah. first class, yeah. and Eric gave him it. Yeah, Eric gave him that uh, in the same way that Charles sort of helped. Him harness his power and create the super, the super powered version of Magneto that he becomes, you know. Uh, and then he's the kind of broken uh, junkie who's got to try and find the hero and sort himself. <laughs> and then he becomes this sort of selfless teacher in Apocalypse. And now he's this, um, this politician with a geopolitical platform who's, who's slinging his message because it's the right message, but also because. He just loves the sound of his own voice now, you know, yeah. and He's really his vanity has taken over, but he doesn't recognise that, and that's a dangerous quality. He, yeah, he's blinded to his own flaws. Yeah, there's there's a real darkness in him here, which isn't intentional, I think, in his part. No. he's not a bad guy but any stretch of the imagination. I don't think but. he's a bad guy, but I think he believes his own press and in his his mantra, one of his mantras, which is that there's good inside everybody, used to drive him to purely from a from a positive place and as a force of good to try and find that good inside everybody. Whereas now he's actually trying to prove. That he's right, he has to find the good inside Gene because if he doesn't, he will be proved wrong, and he can't can't accept that. And that's actually that's coming from a negative standpoint. That's coming from a a, a negative platform, um, which which reaps a lot of tragedy. The
0: relationship over the years then um, with with Eric is very interesting as well. Mm-hmm. Is that something that you know?
4: I guess you'll miss out as well. That that camaraderie. Yeah. Of do, do you know? What? To be perfectly honest, we had X Men First Class was. Sort of, it was many things, it was about many characters, but we sort of hung that film on the shoulders of that relationship and the genesis of that relationship, very quick evolution and separation and, and, and divergence of that relationship. And everybody seemed to like it, you know what I mean? It was, a, it was something that still gets talked about now and we people ask is you know, it's one of the greatest aspects of these films and, stuff. and you're like, yeah, we think so too. Yeah. But really for Days of Future Past, Apocalypse and Dark Phoenix, for whatever reason, Simon and the studio decided not to really put us in that many scenes together or investigate our relationship. <laughs> I don't know why. I think it was a huge string to the X-Men bow, and I'd love to have seen more of it, but we never got it. Yeah, but you do, there's this... That's my biggest regret. Oh, really? That's my only X-Men regret, probably. Okay. Yeah, I would love the scenes more. more Charles and Eric stuff as well,
0: but there, you have this chess motif that runs all the way through the film. So have you and Michael ever
4: played chess? Yes. And- during uh, first class, we played chess quite a bit. Okay, who wins? I can't remember actually. I think it was fair. That means he even. wins. Although Poole, he <laughs> sort of wipes the floor with me on Poole. Oh really? Yeah. Okay. I'm, I remember once seeing him looking.
0: Uh, we were we were chatting about something. He was looking at Ronnie O'Sullivan trick shots. Oh so, yeah. He's looking up stuff on YouTube. Oh
4: yeah. He's cheating. Always practicing. Basically. Always
0: practicing. Yeah. It's, you say practicing, I say cheating. Yeah, practicing
4: oh.
0: cheating. Okay. <laughs> One of the interesting things about these movies is that they jump ahead. Ten, Ten years or so, um, which isn't always, I would say, reflected visually. Nope. But do you try and incorporate it into the
4: characters? Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think the, especially in this one, definitely in the space between Days of Future Past and First Class, definitely. Apocalypse, I don't know. Uh, this one definitely feels like there's been a hell of a lot happened to him. He feels like a, an older person. He's playing the game a lot more which I think is weirdly easier to do as you get older Uh, so it's reflected just on a on a psychological and motivational level but visually no not at all not really I mean we have all aged somebody showed us an interview they did with us for Days of Future Past earlier and that was her opening thing was to show us the thing (laughs) and both Michael (laughs) and I were like holy fuck (laughs) we really did look younger just a while ago, you know. It's only, um, it's only eight years. Yeah, but I think bad. there's many have been thirty years have gone by. So it's, Something it's, like that. Yeah, maybe, maybe even forty. Charles um, is now in his fifties, definitely. Maybe even his sixties. Maybe um, he's looking good. He's looking good for for uh, a person that's no far from retirement age. You know? <laughs> <laughs> we don't have a lot of time left, James. Uh, so
0: what I what I want to do is take you through a kind of whip crack tour.
4: Of your X Men experience. Right. All right, okay, put you on the spot here. Go. First conversation you had about this role? Uh, With Matthew Vaughan in a uh, bistro uh, just off Portland Street. I think he was having a baby, or no, another actor who was potentially going to be in it was having a baby, right. uh, and so we had a meeting there. There was only 35 pages of the script. Uh, <laughs> I really didn't have a sense of whether it was going to be good or not, but I did tell my agent that it was, uh, it was brilliant and fantastic, and I definitely wanted to do it. It made a hell of a lot of sense for me to stay in London making a movie where I got paid a lot of money at that particular <laughs> time in my life. I didn't have any debt, but I was skint, and uh-huh. I couldn't leave London. So I was like, I'm doing this. <laughs> Were you scared by the idea of a three-picture, multi-year commitment? That Sounded something? fantastic to me <laughs> at that particular moment where my bank account was literally, like, I had a couple hundred quid in it. Bloody hell. First day on set. For, I can't remember my first day on set, but there I do remember go. my first meeting with another cast member, and that was Michael. Uh-huh. Um, uh, we had He had a big old tash on. Because uh, he was doing something uh, where he had a tash, uh, and we had to do a lot of scenes where we spoke, where Charles and Eric spoke about women and the women that they loved, um, and it felt very much like a couple of guys just in a bar having a chat. And it, there was immediate chemistry, and it was pretty clear straight away that it was going to be good if if we got to work together. Mm. Uh, and also, my first day properly in rehearsals was with Jennifer Lawrence, and she absolutely just overwhelmed me with how much life was flying out of her every pore. And I thought to myself, she's going to be massive. <laughs> um, and in the time between <laughs> First Class and uh, Days of Future Past, she became the biggest star in the world, really. Oh, yeah, so, that's right. That's so my laboratory. yeah. I'd yeah. just like to say I was right.
0: <laughs> first time you realised that you could get away with uh, showing off your superpower just by putting your finger to your temple.
4: Uh, well, that was a very... that was. It was a very conscious thing that I wanted to do. I realised that they didn't do that a lot in the first incarnation of Charles. Yeah. Uh, and I'd just seen it a lot in the comic books and a lot of really iconic images of, of Charles, like the one, the top shot of him looking up in his chair and I always wanted to get that one in and we never did it. I kept, like, playing for it. Uh, so it became very... It was a conscious thing I wanted to do to show, to be clear to the audience when he was doing something and when he wasn't. Um, and also it was just, you know, it was funny, sort of physicalised things, I think. Rather than do a hard stare all the time.
1: Yeah,
0: absolutely. Yeah, and uh, it's an easy one for you as well. Like, you know, very people, easy, yeah.
4: very easy. Yeah, Although I Don't do a have a repetitive strain injury in, in my, <laughs> my, my Peter Pointer finger. Have you suffered an injury at the workplace? Uh, I <laughs> have, yeah. I could do that advert. Ask Charles. <laughs> Contact injury lawyers for you. Yeah, yeah, My finger hurt. <laughs> when, when I hurt my finger playing Charles Xavier. <laughs> uh, First time...
0: In fact, you only did it once, I'm guessing. But the first time you met uh, Patrick Stewart in that scene in Days of Future Past?
4: That was my first day of Days of Future Past. Um, and it that was I did a, not know. Yeah, it was wow. my first. I was the first of the new cast because uh, they'd been shooting with the old guys or the older guys um, for about a month. I was the first of the new lot in. And um, I. That was. Yeah, it was my first day. I'd spent 18, 19 hours in the makeup chair having head extensions put in. Because my hair was about three quarters of an inch long when yeah. I showed up. I'd just come off stage playing Macbeth, but I had like a, an army kind of
1: flat yeah, yeah, top yeah, cut. Yeah.
4: Yeah. And, um, and so I spent 18 hours in a makeup chair, got about three hours sleep, came back in the next day, got stroked on the hair nicely and not like not uh, inappropriately <laughs> by Sir Ian McKellen and then went on stage, went nose to nose with Patrick Stewart and I was in heaven really. Uh, I was nervous a little bit because I was aware that it was probably one of my most important scenes of the entire movie and I was sort of like, I had to just hit the ground running, do it cold and uh, and I was up against not only Jean-Luc Picard, not only <laughs> Charles Xavier, Mark I, I was also up against... Patrick Stewart, Sir Patrick Stewart, who's an amazing actor who I'd loved ever since I've seen him in, in David Lynch's Dune. Mm. Um, uh, so it was a lot of things coming together, with, by the way, an audience of X Men all around me, including Iceman, Hugo Boss, Wolverine, <laughs> <and> Halle Berry, <laughs> Halle, who, um, uh, uh, Kitty Pride. Like, they're all just like standing around going, like, Go on in. <laughs> alright beardy on you go and what did you do nail the first take I'm presuming and just go drop the microphone and go alright that's
0: it do you know One what I think, for,
4: I think we did actually only do a couple of takes I think they were pretty like first take they were like we're pretty pleased with this uh, but should we do it again for safety so we got, we got lucky bloody hell that's not bad uh, first time going full cue ball chuck Cubeball Chuck um, during apocalypse. Uh, I actually, even though I spend the majority of the film with hair, uh, because you never shoot things in sequence, I had to shave my head before we started filming. So I was wearing a wig for most of that film, and then and then every now and again taking it off to get to get um, all Yul Brenner on your ass, <laughs> um, and that was fun to do. I did it myself. Um, Shaved my head. There wasn't too much ceremony, although we did at the last minute think, hey, should we FaceTime Patrick and see if he's in? And Patrick picked up. So we were FaceTiming Patrick as I was shaving my head in the countryside of uh, just outside Montreal. Um, What did he say? I can't was like, actually why remember. The fuck! Are you funny, me? I can't. Me- on, yeah. This better be good. I was getting a. Blo- no. Um, I can't remember. I was just about to um, engage. I can't remember. Yeah. Tea on great hot. Uh, I can't remember what he said actually, but I do know that Brian Singer apparently kept my hair and has it in his personal safe at home, which is slightly why? terrifying. Why? Why? You Brian answers on a postcard. I don't know. Yeah. I have no idea. Cloning. Possibly Okay That's maybe not It's all It's all mysterious Your
0: last day See I've switched it around I've gone from first To last My last day day As Charles Xavier
4: I, I barely remember it If I'm being honest I can't remember Which one was my last day I remember Running about Hugging everybody And giving a Slightly Rushed speech And everybody Being a Lovely back But I think the moment That I felt like Oh this is the last time We'll do this Weirdly, we didn't know it was going to definitely be the last film because there was no talk yeah, of yeah. The, the Fox and Disney merger or, or takeover at that point. But it did feel like this was an ending. And it was when I was having post post-funeral conversation with Nick Holt playing Hank McCoy in Charles's kitchen, which oh, yeah, yeah. incidentally is about a tenth of the size it is in first class. I don't quite understand why that <laughs> was. He's in a wheelchair now He didn't need that extra space And we seem to have Shrunk the kitchen To a galley kitchen (laughs) For the entire mansion You know Like that isn't where They provide (laughs) lunch For all those children Anyway uh, Nick just blew me away And he was so good And so fatalist And so angry with me In that scene That it it just made me go like Ah this might be The last time we do this And I'm sad about it So that's when I felt like That's when I started to go like Ah this is probably The last time Don't know why If you just felt He gave it the gravity that, That made me feel like That was the end
0: you know what I don't think this is the end I think this is what you should do you should uh, in 10 years time remake X-Men in 10 years time in 10 years time just actual 10 years time an actual 10 year gap remake X-Men this time with someone else playing Wolverine someone else playing Rogue but all Uh the differences from this movie have filtered into that one so you're remaking it but you're not remaking
4: it yeah 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 yeah. we're just continuing but remaking Yeah. it's a can remake. Oh, shut up, James. <laughs> yeah, go to do that. <laughs> Definitely let's do, do that. that. Yeah, that's next do that. one. All right, James McAvoy. Pleasure, man. Cheers Thanks very much,
0: mate. Thank you. All right, so that was James McAvoy, and uh, that is probably his last outing as Professor Charles Xavier. Let's talk about that outing, shall we? Mm. Let's talk about X Men Dark Phoenix, which is out now in cinemas. You can go see it right now. And let's start this by saying that this film has been getting an almighty kicking. Yes. It is, last time I checked, at twenty-two percent on Rotten Tomatoes, now that mm. roughly translates to one star. Yeah, one star across the board, one star reviews across the board. Yes, which is very strange because this is not a, a worse film than X Men Apocalypse, which is at forty-seven percent on Rotten Tomatoes. It's and it feels to me
1: forty-seven. I know.
0: I mean, it that's feels to me generous for that, that but
3: possibly, possibly, some people are going in with their minds made up. About I think they're maybe mm. trying to yeah. adjust for the unnecessarily generous reviews they gave to Apocalypse by penalising Dark Mm. Phoenix. But you're right, this this is not a bad film. It's not a great film, but it's not a bad film by any stretch. And it does feel punitive. It feels like some sort of weird critical lynching. Like, everyone's just jumped on this. They decided it was terrible, Way before you, it came out, I think it does suffer from coming out in the same year as Endgame. In the it, I think a lot, a lot of, of films are going to suffer. A lot from, of films same suffer from that. But as a superhero, uh, to be the superhero movie that follows Endgame, no one would wish that on anything. And also the superhero film that's kind of wrapping up. Uh... Yeah, and yeah. there's also wrapping up uh, the X Men series, which while it's had some bumpy patches, Apocalypse, Last Stand, has some great films in there. Days of Future Past, X Two.
1: But I think the problem is exactly that this. If you had to say which of the X Men films this was closest to, it would be Apocalypse and Last Stand because it's basically the <laughs> Apocalypse lineup doing Last Stand. I
0: mean, yeah, oh, well, that's a good point. Um, that's not unfair, really. So,
1: so you know, there's there's a bit of a problem here, I think, with that. And and I'll be honest, the, the film I went in with extremely low expectations. It, it definitely surpassed my extremely low expectations, no. but that's not to say that I think it is good. So it's 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 probably a two for me. Like it's it's there's a lot of good stuff there. I think there mm. are people doing good work with very little to work with. Particularly Sophie Turner, who who I thought was much much better than than I've ever seen her as anybody other than Sansa Stark. Which in fairness is not a huge amount of work. <laughs> but it, it just it it still just kind of sat there. Yeah. For me. And it, and it, and it didn't feel as involving. It didn't feel there were a couple of cool moments, and I think they did play quite well. No big spoilers, but involving Magneto. Um, But, uh, you know, a lot of it felt flat. The villain felt a little bit odd. Some of the story beats were odd. Some of them were just overly familiar. And worst of all, Somebody made Nightcrawler upset, and I cannot <laughs> sanction that kind of buffoonery.
0: You, you will not let this stand.
1: I, I genuinely won't. I, I, Cody Smith McPhee's Nightcrawler uh, is is a precious cinnamon bun who must be protected <laughs> at all costs.
3: Please keep all your right. hands off okay. Cody Smith McPhee's no, cinnamon bad, bun. So.
1: Not in a bad way, but like like not in a sexy way. Like he's just he's a an adorable little puppy, and I yeah. don't want anything to ever happen to him. That's okay, bad.
0: all right, well. We don't have a lot of time, but we should set up this film very, very quickly. Uh, it is the seventh main X-Men movie. We're not counting all the spin-offs. Uh, this is now written and directed by Simon Kinberg, who has been a writer on the X-Men movies going all the way back to 2006. It's The Last Stand, which bolts up the Dark Phoenix storyline. And so for years, he wanted to tell it right. So here he has now a chance to tell it right. Uh, he's been producer, writer, producer on these movies. He steps up to the, the director's chair. And I think, you know, sometimes there's, there's a certain clunkiness at times in this movie. There's a certain first-timerishness to this movie. But also there's some interesting stretches that didn't really feel like they were of a piece with the previous X-Men movies. It takes some interesting risks, tries to do some interesting stylistic things. I think I saw this movie before you guys. and I you did, I, yeah. I, I, had a more positive reaction to it than I think most people have had since. Yeah. Uh, I, I think the Hans Zimmer score is fantastic. I think there's some good performances. I think what McAvoy tries to do with, with Charlie X in this movie mm. is interesting. There's not anywhere near enough Magneto or, or Fastbender mm. in this movie for, for my liking. But yeah, I, I admire a lot of the... There's uh, some really interesting action sequences where the X-Men actually get to deploy some teamwork.
1: Yeah, which was For nice.
0: and against each other, which is cool. We haven't really seen that on the big screen before. And to be honest... There's been something about this movie which which has been eating away at me for a long long time which is for about the last year anytime anyone mentioned this movie on Twitter I've said this in the podcast before people on Twitter would go "Oh Dark Phoenix that's going to suck" and I think a lot of that came back from the the fact that, that it had much Ballyhood reshoots and it was delayed a couple of times it was meant to come out last year then it was pushed back to February 14th then it was pushed back again and so with that comes an expectation mm. that it's going to suck. So Apocalypse
3: was hateful
0: And dribble.
2: Apocalypse was hateful mm. driven. And New yeah. Mutants was having trouble as well. And New Mutants was having trouble. But that's the
0: thing. It's like, has Apocalypse poisoned the well of these movies so much that we're willing to overlook all the good films in this franchise? As you mentioned, X-Men 2, for me, still one of the great mm-hmm. uh, superhero films. Days of Future Past, I love for great X-Men film. First Class yeah. as well. And just go, well, this is clearly going to suck. So I think people are going in with their expectations very, very low and almost prejudging it in a a weird way. In which case, I don't think this movie
2: really stood a chance.
3: No, I I agree with you.
2: I just feel the younger iterations of the characters never quite got me in the way that, you know, for me, McKellen is still Magneto and Patrick Stewart is still Professor X. And I love X-Men too. But yeah, it kind of lost me a bit since they recast everyone. Interesting. I I don't feel excited Mm -hmm. about the series anymore.
3: This film has good moments. I think it has third act problems. Uh, Third act for me felt very flat. The climax is quite flat. I think more than anything else, this... It feels like the X-Men series, for its highs and lows, I have an affection for this series, especially these characters. And I wanted them, if they're going to go out, I wanted them to go out with a bang, and I feel like this movie maybe makes them go out with a bit of a fizzle. Like If you you look at the way the Avengers went out with Endgame, I know we shouldn't really compare these two things, but this really feels like it does the X-Men a disservice. If this is the last X-Men film, I feel they lost, they missed an opportunity to really send them out, and that upsets because I don't think it was planned as the last X-Men movie whereas they yeah. were building yeah, towards Endgame yeah. for course, several years of and maybe that has
0: something to do with it but listen as a magazine we're more positive on it than most uh, we're three stars which is 60% on Rotten Tomatoes I think that's fair uh, I think it's fair as well and uh, so yeah, go and check it out not
1: off my, my, my yeah. view either I think
0: Go and check it out this weekend, see what you think and then come back here next week because we do have a spoiler special for this film with Simon Kimberg. and I sat down and had a big long chat with him but we still didn't cover everything because there's actually quite a lot to cover in this movie uh, but uh, check that one out when it's up next week. Speaking of spoiler specials, real, real quick at a long, long last our Avengers Endgame spoiler special part the third with the writers Christopher Marcus and Stephen McFeely and the directors Joe and Anthony Russo is up, finally up, it is up it's going to go up, I'm going to press the button on it as soon as we get out of this pod booth which is very very exciting and we held it back for a few weeks but hopefully it's going to be worth the wait be aware it contains talk of Thanos' mighty rectum it really does oh uh, what else are we doing in a supporter special we have John Wick Chapter 3 Parabellum with director Chad Stahelski mm. and our Rocket Man supporter special with Dexter Fletcher is going to go up very very soon that may even be up by the time you're listening to this right there we go three stars in for X-Men Dark Phoenix and now it brings us on to Last Night which teams Emma Thompson with Mindy Kaling
1: Yes, yeah, so Emma Thompson, in a very improbable turn, plays a late-night talk show host in the US, despite being female. And um, Mindy Kaling is the new writer who's brought into her writer's room in an effort to make it not quite so male, which rings much truer. Um, so the idea is... What that- are you
0: saying? Hang on, let me just consult with my my colleagues, Nick and James here. Uh, what do you think of Oh, hang on. Oh, shit. There anyway, go. please, go, please anyway,
1: Um So yeah, so it's a, it's a really interesting film, mostly about the relationship between them, but taking some sort of sideswipes at the comedy, uh, you know, world and its, its male dominance and its hostility, I think, of those those w- rooms traditionally to women, yeah. kind of bringing us back to the wild and crazy guys kind of ethos, you mm-hmm. know, right? It's the sort of that, that set, the marker of what co- comedians were supposed to be in some ways, mm-hmm. I think. Um, all these guys want to be those guys and therefore they're not kind of there for, you know, what they see as touchy feeling women stuff. But it's a really nice film as well about, you know, this young woman trying to kind of make her mark and fight her way up and and find a way to, you know, become who she thinks she can become. And also Emma Thompson at the other end of her career sort of facing having her show taken away from her because ratings are falling and she's seen as less relevant. And them sort of very awkwardly and reluctantly meeting somewhere in the middle. So great performances from both of them, as you would expect. A Mm -hmm. really, really good supporting cast as well. Just Just a phenomenal list of comedy talents. And it doesn't always 100% land. I think I feel like the script sometimes could have been a tiny bit sharper than it is. Interesting. Um but I just loved their relationship and their the 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 kind of issues it raised and things it talked about it. and I was I was thoroughly entertained I have to say.
0: Fantastic. Uh, we gave this one 3 stars as well. 3 stars then for last night.
1: Also can we just say very quickly Kind Hearts and Coronets is I Back in cinemas, in some cinemas this weekend for its 70th anniversary. Mm-hmm. If you have never seen it, it's an Ealing comedy. It's unbelievably funny and incredibly modern and extremely dark. It stars Alec Guinness as eight separate people, all members of a family and all on someone's kill mm-hmm. list. And I cannot <laughs> recommend it highly enough. It's one of the best films ever made. So if it's on anywhere near you, run do not walk to see you know Kind what? Hearts and Coronets I think
2: it is on near. Uh, we live near each we other do, so yeah. maybe we yeah, we'll maybe go we'll see, see that at the weekend yeah. uh, the, I mean, uh, the original Eddie Murphy and in Coming to America multi-characters it kind of is actually yeah. <laughs> maybe that's where he yeah. got it from
1: but yeah it's a wonderful wonderful film and you will not believe how twisted it is uh,
0: that's one star land for Kind Hearts <laughs> and Coronets no five, Time's stars, five. five stars it is a, a timeless classic uh, and that is it for this week's Empire Podcast join us next week for more film related fun We'll be joined by, Asif Kapadia, the director Ooh. of the excellent football documentary Diego Maradona, and he's a massive Liverpool fan. And yes, we did talk a little bit about the Champions League final, but not too much. I promise you. Uh huh. I promise you. Hmm. Anyway, until we meet again, until a auspicious occasion, it is goodbye from our geek queen, Helena O'Hara. To Lou. It's goodbye from whatever the hell he is, James Dyer. Be excellent to each other. good advice it is Uh, it's goodbye from
2: acclaimed author Nick Disemlin the light is green the trap is clean
3: (laughs) see I thought you were going to go with party on dudes and pick up the riff but no no you just (laughs) fucked (laughs) off and did your own Ghostbusters thing yeah anyway it is also goodbye from another acclaimed author because guys I don't know if
0: I told you this I didn't mention it early in the podcast but I have a book coming out this weekend as well I may have rushed the release a little bit but uh I'd like you all to go out and buy a copy immediately. It's called Crazy and Wild Guys and it's a story of how Hollywood was changed forever by comedy mavericks in the 1980s. Available now in all, let's face it, mostly evil news agents. But please do get a copy and not that other one. Not the I I can't stress enough, not that other one. Thanks so much for listening. See you next time. Up the Reds. Bye.